0: Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 10 today is Salby Steer, who won AFL Fantasy overall in 2017 and finished in a tie for first in 2018. I hope you enjoy. I would like to welcome a person who has absolutely been on the heater during the 2017 and 2018 AFL Fantasy season. He is a back-to-back champion. He's also a star raising money for charity. He has announced his return to the AFL Fantasy game in 2020. Welcome back and welcome to the show, Selby Lee Steer.
1: G'day, Pete. How are you, mate? Thanks for having us.
0: How is your uh, pre-season going for AFL Fantasy right now?
1: Pre-season's right in the mix of it, actually. um, I'm putting together that season guide, which I did for last year, 2019, Try to expand it a bit and put a few more features, which I'll probably bit a bit more than I can chew. That's taking a lot longer than um, last month. so I'm, I'm still still in the middle of that, um, which I'm hoping to launch mid-Feb. So certainly at the moment I'm um, I'm yeah spending a lot of time looking through the numbers, so well into the uh, the season.
0: Fantastic, and that is great news. Uh, you have previously done some great work raising funds for the Starlight Foundation. Can you tell the listeners a little bit? about the foundation and your plans for charity this season?
1: Yeah, well, Starlight Foundation it's um it's about um, basically it looks after those unfortunate kids who are ill and um and sick and in hospitals they just provide some great um oh, these kids are obviously in positions where aren't as lucky as some other kids being spending a lot of their time in hospital. So they spend a lot of their um their time and resource and money providing experiences and, and fun and um, making and brightening the lives of these these young kids. So mm-hmm. I originally got involved with the charity through a good mate of mine and um, plays footy for GWS called Matt DeBoer. He's on the board at, um, at Starlight mm-hmm. and um, I was matched with him at WA and then obviously moved over to Sydney. So I was living, um, not with him, but I was in the same city with him, so pretty close with him. And he first gave me the introduction to the foundation and... Which um, is obviously as good as advertised. They, they do some great stuff, so obviously mm-hmm. wanted to to help out with them. And um, more recently, been providing a, um, a fantasy resource to all the, the coaches out there, um, and use the proceeds from from that to to go towards the Starlight. So last year we raised, which was a great effort from the whole fantasy community. We raised about forty. $5,000 um, foundation and this year, um, um, as I said, I've build, already started building the guide, wanting to do it bigger and better this year um, and part of those proceeds will go towards Starlight as well as obviously there's a lot of other people in need in Australia at the moment given the what we've seen so far this year and yep. back in the last year with these devastating fires so there'll be, um, there'll be spread over multiple charities um, yet to actually work out the total um, distribution but um, yeah same thing will happen again and the proceeds from this document which as I'm is a, a bit, of, bit of more than I can chew and I'm, it's taking a lot longer than I think but I just always think back that well at least the work I'm doing now is going to hopefully pay some good going forward so I'm sticking at it.
0: Certainly worthwhile causes. Your AFL fantasy season guide is a must-have for the serious player or even those that want to take their game to the next level? Can you tell the listeners what to expect in the 2020 edition?
1: Yeah, the 2020 edition uh, will firstly, basically target starting squad and what I like to look for for players in my starting squad. It will run through both my starting squads from the 2017 season in a bit more detailed last year and 2017. 18 season and i've also got the the winner craig's team from from last season but Mm -hmm. then what i haven't actually provided to date are my trades throughout the season which i'll go through each trade in detail for for one of the winning seasons and why i made the move and what the result of that trade was uh, which should it's funny as i've obviously been a long time fantasy player myself and i've always been there and thereabouts but never never anywhere close to win it and i always just thought well obviously i don't know what it will take to win it and um whether there's a cheat code or what what these guys <laughs> at the front are doing because i was always so far behind but i think it would give some good insights to people about the moves i've made and what works and how it's quite often and you see the most morning puts up there the most popular trades of the week and quite often they're the same trades as i've been doing but mm-hmm. Um, with a few little tweaks, so I think it was just, it's mainly just to give people an understanding that what it, what it did take, and a few little tricks in there, um, which people can, by all, all means, use a bit of a blueprint going forward for them, or even just a bit of a um, appreciation for what what did go into those those winning seasons. Uh, and then I go through every player in the comp. Um, And the stats which I like to look for and target for my players in my starting squad, um, I always look for players who... It's not um, groundbreaking, everyone does the same thing, but look for players with upside and Mm -hmm. certain categories and scenarios I look at which could lead to some upside in the price they started at. So it goes through each player's stats and then I've added a comment on each player about um, what I think their prospects are going to be for the upcoming season. So... It's a fine balance, obviously. Uh, myself, too, who likes to do my own research, I, I certainly don't want to provide, not that I've got the answers, but tell people this is exactly the team you need to start with and this is the answers. And so people who just want to buy a bit of a cheat sheet, it's certainly not that. It's more mm-hmm. of like I said, it's as like a form guide for a horse race where it goes through the, the stats of the players and the important stats, which I think
0: mm-hmm. a bit
1: of a comment on there and from there, um, fancy coaches can cross out a player who they might have been half keen on or um, maybe um, see a different light to me and, and still continue to pick them but um, provide a good source of, of background to where, where my head's at with each of these players.
0: It's interesting before 2017 you were, from what I can take in your comments there, that you were looking at other teams and, and thinking that you what could you do to get ahead of them and now everyone's actually looking at you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, and that's why it's good to be able to provide. I, I think I do. I've now I've cracked the code, but certainly for those two seasons and last season, which I sat out of, I, I certainly don't think I would have won it. Um, there's certain there's certain players who I was very bullish on who, whether they got injured or didn't live up to the expectations, but mm-hmm. there was also a lot of players who certainly would have been in my saying side. Which you look at Craig, the winning. Um, team and Harmy, who came second was leading most of the season they were very similar to the teams which um followed the philosophy which I have so I I think particularly those last three years the system I have worked which I kind of stumbled upon in the first year when I won it and then yeah the second year I kind of followed that um that game plan blueprint to a T which proved to work successfully as well so I'm I feel like I've got a system which works. It might not work every year, and it's a beauty about fantasy. I know that the year I won the first time of um, 2017, uh, the guy who came second, who was leading for the most part of the year, his starting squad was completely different to mine. So mm. the beauty about the game is that there's certainly not one way to go about it, but I'm, mm-hmm. I think I've got a good system which works, and I'm happy to provide that sort of background to, to people who are are interested, and the the benefit of that is, one, they they learn a bit about it, but also it's it's going to support the cause as well.
0: There's always a different path and a unique path to first. Have you set a price for the season guide this year? I haven't. I
1: haven't. um, It'll be around the mark of last year also, like um, which I did the previous year. Um, I obviously very appreciate those who... Who've supported it, so there'll likely be a, a slight discount to those who pr- pr- purchased it the previous year. Um, but it was, it's it'll be in the range of oh, somewhere in between the thirty buck mark is where it was was last year, and would likely be again again this year. But I certainly haven't, um, yeah, I've been too busy punching out these numbers and typing up these buys to give it give it the next step yet. Yeah.
0: Extremely great value. I certainly purchase it and we will be doing again in February, I highly recommend this as an absolute resource for AFL fantasy coaches. Uh, What was the biggest difference on creating your round one team in 2017 and round one team in 2018? Biggest difference to those two teams, it wasn't much,
1: to be honest with you. As I said, I I had that team um, which worked well in 2017, and it wasn't... There's a lot of trial trial and error in the years leading up. Um, I did a bit of a different system in 2017 and tried to follow that quite closely and similarly in the 2018 season, that being um, paying up for the more expensive rookies who Mm -hmm. certainly have the job security there and potential to score high, although it is tempting because you're always a couple of thousand dollars short of going from a premium to an Uber premium in the midfield, mm-hmm. and you think boy, if I just get rid of this young draftee who's costing me 240000 and get a basement rookie at 170 who's named in round one, all of a sudden I can turn a oh like a um, Luke Parker into a, a Zach Merritt, or whoever it would have been. Um, so the, the temptation's always there, but I, I stuck to my guns and mm-hmm. you paid up for the rookies and settled for the... Obviously, had some Uber premiums throughout there, but you you, know, you can't get all the players, and there's a buzz players every pre-season, and um, it's just about... Um, you're not going to be able to fit them all in there, and you just want to make sure you prioritise those ones which you think
0: are the most important. There's some great insight there. What is your process throughout the Marsh Series pre-season games?
1: Marsh Series... Um, I'll watch it I'll watch it look at the numbers uh, it's, it's it's a tricky one obviously teams are trialling um, a lot of young players and players in different positions um, so you can't read and it's shortened quarters as well and I know that myself I certainly don't play at that level I play at a small time amateur club but I know I'm more of an older player now so come pre-season I barely even get out of I barely even try. I run around, try not to get hurt. So I'd, you certainly don't read too much into it for the premiums. Mm-hmm. That's my point of view. But rookies, by all means, you should look at their um, their role, their points per minute. Um, but certainly, I like looking more so at their the rookies, um, the under eighteen scores and their state league scores to so know if they're a scorer and then in terms of the up-and-comers looking at their back end of the previous year and their last couple of games, I think that's a fair indication. And the, and the JLT, having said that, or oh, the Marsh Cup, sorry, it is these days, um like Travis Spoke jumped off the map in the pre-season cup last year, or pre-season series, and that form followed through and he had a great season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but then there was like, a just doing the, the buys before, I did um, Angus Broshaws yesterday, who... That monster preseason. I think he went at two points per minute, which is unheard of. Over two points per minute in the preseason, scored two 150s in very small game time, and that certainly um, trapped a few players or coaches who selected him. And he he was a season record for a lot. So um, you certainly shouldn't throw your plans out the window just on the back of a couple of preseason games.
0: Do you set a team up prior to the series and adjust as you go, holding those premiums in place for rookies?
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, and the comp started yesterday and people are starting to put teams together and rookies, you basically could almost just have them not even there until the teams are out on the Thursday. Um, it all depends on selection when it comes to the rookies, so mm-hmm. certainly JLT, you keep a close look. Look at them there, um, but yeah, I, I'd normally put my team together prior to that um, JLT Marsh Cup series and adjust going forward from there.
0: Just quickly, have you already entered for the 2020 AFL fantasy season? And at what time after open did you enter? If you have?
1: Nah, uh, well, I actually haven't. I haven't oh. entered, so I'm, I'm leaving myself vulnerable again. Yes. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully it is. If they do get in that position next this year, that that comes to be the uh, the issue. So I'd be I'd be happy if that's the case. To be honest with you, um, I'm still putting together all my research first prior to to putting pen to paper on the team.
0: I I was in the competition under an hour after open just because of you.
1: Ah, good on you. They always should pump it up more. We'll Warning, I think they're giving. Um, if you register early, you get like two two people with like twenty people to cater box of the MCG and all sorts of stuff just for registering early. I think they just they could probably save themselves a bit of money and and so, told that story um, twenty eighteen and help people sign up a bit early if they wanted some marketing.
0: Uh, for sure. And what dictates your round one structure?
1: It's a fine balance, the fine balance between getting those players who you think are going to be the, the best of that position um, over the course of the year, because obviously the longer they're in the team the more points you're getting but then you also need to be generating enough cash um, to then have that full team of, of premiums and have it quicker than the next bloke, I think that's the, the key, the, quick, the quicker you can complete that team and get a full team of premiums the better so um, it is that fine balance, and this year more so than than other years, it it seems to be those clear players in each position who are standouts. Mm-hmm. With um, Woodfield up forward and Lloyd down back, There's, and Grundy in the ruck, the um, Cray mid. There's a lot of players there who have you, you could easily say, well, I'll be very surprised if these guy, this person is not the top scorer, he should be the second top scorer. Mm-hmm on the year. So, um, it's just a balance between trying to fit them all in as well as fitting in these, um, buzz players and, and up and comers who also, also proved to be different, difference makers in, in seasons last year. It was Warple who was the one, mm-hmm. um, who I was pretty big on, like Warple last year as well. So, uh, so, yeah, trying to fit those guys in as well. And then also getting the best, the best rookies, uh, the year twenty eighteen, Tim Kelly was the best rookie, and I'd actually missed out on him in my round one squad. Wow. Um, I went. I don't know why I did it because I always I preach mature age well, but I went. Um, maybe being a Docker fan, I went to Andrew Broshaw, who was even more expensive than than Kelly to start. So yeah, you just, you just want to nail those rookies as well.
0: Mm. And it just shows you that um, a, a decision there that. In hindsight, that, that appeared to be the wrong decision. Well, obviously it did, but you can recorrect that and still finish first.
1: Oh, you're equal first on points. So it's you look at it both ways, you think, gee, it's great that he didn't catch up like that. But then you can also think, well, I could if... have saved myself 40 grand and started with Tim Kelly, who I think I, that year I tweeted out his stats on one game, South Fremantle versus East Fremantle, when he kicked seven goals and had 35 possessions or some sort of video game numbers. And
0: yeah,
1: It was bigger than all season. So, yeah, it's it's funny how the game works.
0: Is it the 2018 season where you didn't start Tom Mitchell as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah, which I was comfortable with. I wasn't comfortable getting him in after three 150s in a row, which he got. Then he backed it up with three 60s in a row when I got in. So, no, it was an interesting season. And that's part of the reason why I'm keen to get back involved this year because... Obviously it's it's a stressful thing, particularly when you've got a lot of eyes on your team and that's what I always credit uh Warty, Roy and Calvin who uh they cop it sometimes and they provide some great advice for their, their podcast, but it's not mm. an easy thing to go out there with your team which you've got no control over come game day when they're playing and correct. Um and you know that there's other people in the world, if they their team's no good, they can easily either just forget about it or delete it or lots of people even put in which you're not meant to do in, the, in terms of the, uh, the rules but even put in a couple of people like, on oh, my second team whereas these are their, their teams everyone's watching in every move mm. there's a bit of pressure associated with that which last year was a big year for me I had weddings and um, did a bit of travel and um, had my 30th and I didn't uh, I didn't want to have that distraction and stress um, interrupting that, that year uh, plus I wanted to provide the best focus and the the uh, advice which I did give, I wanted that to be impartial and be, it would be hard for me to give the best advice if I was trying to compete with a guy asking for advice, so mm. that was my logic last year, but then on the flip side, there are a lot of people who do follow my teams and get a lot of enjoyment out of it and watching Roy, Calvin and Warren's team and... Seeing what they're doing every week and comparing their trades to them, it, it provides great entertainment. Um, and that sure. was certainly some entertainment for people with the, my strategy that 2018 year with Tom Mitchell, and people were asking, "Oh, when's he going to get him?" And watching the trades, so that's why part of it. I want to put my hand up again this year and, and have a crack because I know that a lot of a lot of uh, people out there do get some entertainment from it. So we'll see what comes of that.
0: Well, I guess the the another crucial point there is is not starting with tom mitchell and obviously tim kelly there as well is that you can still work your way to a very good overall result Uh, so early season trades and and miss selections can be corrected over the course of the season so there's always the opportunity to restore hope
1: yeah absolutely in the
0: beauty of fantasy and that's why i like it but
1: two trades per week, unlimited, you can, particularly early in the season, you can correct those uh, mistakes you've made. And sometimes you almost have too many trades than what you need because you you feel like you have to trade. You trade someone out who eventually goes off and and probably outperforms the one you've traded in. So um, it's a great game in that sense. And by all means, those you see a few, after round one, people are like, oh season's over. I've had a shocker or someone's been injured or someone hasn't performed and they think it's over, whereas it's certainly not over. It's a a long season. It's 23 weeks.
0: For sure. How much do you pay attention to ownership numbers?
1: Yeah, a lot. A lot. Um, And it's a good little thing to look at for depending where you're sitting on the rankings, if you're going for overall ranking or if you're just trying to win your league, because you forget that there are a lot of people out there, and that was where I first started playing fantasy, and fantasy basketball, right now I'm speaking. I'm looking at, some boys just hit a three-pointer just then, you're versing against your mate, you just want to beat beat one team, so ownership percentage and point of difference is a a big in terms of, if you think that you need to take a risk and and get a jump on the opposition. Then obviously you want to be either going for those people with low ownership positions, but where it gets tricky this day and age with so many resources and, um, with the Twitter and social media and all the websites that a lot of people do, if there is a good option and a good pick, it's not anymore. It's not, not a secret anymore. And a lot of mm-hmm. people do you think it's a good pick? There's a lot of people who think it's a good pick. So mm-hmm. quite often these people are popular for a reason. Um, So it's hard to find someone with low ownership who could be that difference maker. So, yeah, what I've been doing recently, or what I like to do, is pick a player with high ownership um, and not pick them. So eventually, essentially, that's your point of difference Mm -hmm. um, to the rest of the competition. So it's almost I'm shorting, um, shorting one of these players and hoping that they underperform what they're priced at, which obviously I try to do with Tom Mitchell, who is the most popular player in 20. 18, but that backfired given he went three 150s in a row to start the season and the rest of the comp got a big big break on me and I, I would have been ranked 3,000th, I think, after round three. No. Um, and then it was, yeah, crawling my way, making my way back from there. So, um, yeah, that, that just adds to it as well.
0: When do you start to pivot away from highly owned players? Pivot away from highly owned players. So start to, start to move away. So if you're looking at, a, like, a Jack McRae this year or Patrick Dangerfield, and you're looking at their ownership, do, does that start to impact your decision-making?
1: It does. It does. But then on the flip side, it's a, bit of, it's a nice cushion there to know, particularly early in the year when it's, it's the most important, when, when all the chips are moving, to know that you've got a player who, a lot of the other components, so if they underperform... Mm-hmm. It's not going to derail your season. Yep. I'll, um, so, yeah so the, the, sometimes it's a good thing and I'll pick someone um, purely because they are the popular option. Not that I think, I may think there's a better option, but in terms of risk-reward, it's like, well, there's no point me taking a risk on this other player with if he backfires, I'll be stuck. I might as well just follow the crowd and, and have le- less, a point of differences with the, the main ones, and make sure that I'm more confident these other point of differences are going to outperform.
0: What previously has been your buy strategy, and will you change this in 2020? No, I certainly won't be changing. As I said, I, I think
1: I've got a decent blueprint. Just worked two years in a row, and um, I probably should even hindsight, but I, I should have even tracked a team of what I would have done last year and just seen how that would have gone. But I think it would have been. Certainly wouldn't have won, but it would have been would have gone well enough. Um, so I'm certainly going to keep that same strategy. And through the buyers is, um, is well, everyone. It's not yeah again not a groundbreaking strategy, but just try to have as many players as possible over the course of those three weeks. Um, not just settle for 18 players each week. I, I like to get for 20, 21, and these are in terms of spectating and watching the footy I, I love the buy period because it means if you do have a player who has a shocker and as it gets tagged and gets a 50 or a 60 or an injured
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can kind of relax on it it's not going to ruin your weekends you know well that score is not going to count yeah. um, so yeah, I try to get as many as possible even if it means through that period trading in players who aren't aren't my first choice because we do get so many trades particularly three over three trades over the buyers that you can um that's come the end of it. Um, yeah, that's that's the main thing, and um, making sure that you do come out with a better better side than when you what you started with. So, although I did say you might prioritise a player who who works best with your structure, you still want to make sure that come the end of the three weeks, your teams a lot better than what what it was um, prior to the season, prior
0: to the um, the bye period. The new utility position. Has added a different dynamic in 2020. How are you likely to approach this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, actually haven't given it much thought. It's the one, the first thought I did think of was the the loophole of uh, these Thursday night games, which I again I like using um, points in the bank might be redundant at least at the at the early stage of the season because rather than having that R two who's doesn't normally play, you'll have a rookie in there who, who will be playing. So um, having a full squad's great for cash generation, but it's not great for using that that loophole. Um, I think it will surely be that it, 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 just a cash generation so you'll just be picking an extra mid like when I had the choice in 2017 between with my, my mids, um, Brayshaw and Kelly, and I wish I could fit them all in there. It's just, oh, well, I've got an extra man in there. I can now fit all these all these gun um, mids, which might be a bit of a shame in the sense that teams will be less unique um, as normally we've got to pick between maybe the six six best rookies and give, pick three or four of them and not everyone's going to have the same four, whereas now the fact that there's an extra space there, it might be um, our teams and our rookies might be more... More common throughout the comp, but as I said, I've been given a heap of thought
0: just yet. I guess there's the decision of cash generation or looping vice captain into captain scores. That's that could be a decision for many at round one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think you need the cash, but it's 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 funny. I keep going back to this blueprint. I have any rule change, is is puts this blueprint in, print in jeopardy, um, and. Even near last year with the new kicking rule rule coming in and the centre square and um, 666 was another one where I thought well maybe this is going to put a bit of a test on the uh, on the blueprints. It'll be who knows a, a new strategy might come in next year and, and blow it all away.
0: Just quickly looking back at Craig's team from last year, he declined the loophole captain opportunity over seven weeks and he achieved. And average net result each week of twenty six point seven points. So I guess there is, there might be a decision to be made. Um, I'm considering it having a non playing rookie to accrue those vice captain or captain loophole opportunities early in the season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Craig's got a lot more guts than I do. To be honest with you, he uh, he was the one who traded in. Um, named Jeremy Cameron in the last round of last year and made him captain which I'd never be able to do so he uh, and I think that just shows if I had anything over 105 almost from my from my vice captain I'd I'd lock that in in my loopholes but yeah it was a, just goes to show that fortune favours are brave and he it proved worthy for him not to take that but I always found it was Murphy's law that if I'd if so I took the, captain, the vice captain score, the captain would always um, what the would-be captain would have always scored more than the vice, and vice versa. If you if you went greedy and got the extra score, then um, you never seemed to to get the higher one. So I used to like just locking in the safe one, but I think that's that credit to, credit to Craig, and that's why I won it. He he seems to be a bit of a risk taker.
0: He achieved a net result of 187 points over the opening seven weeks last year. Yeah, yeah, that's good going. Are you a Max Gorn, Brody Grundy type of guy at round one, or will you be looking at other opportunities? Well, uh,
1: the two seasons which I was... was the one, the comp, um, I started with a set-and-to-get-ruck combo. So going back to the blueprint would suggest... Pick the two rucks you think will be the highest scoring two.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Obviously, those years didn't have the value rucks available, which are available this year in terms of the Jacobs, uh, Phillips, Natnu. There's a lot of them there putting their hands up that are going to be licensed, going to be number one rucks for their team. We'd likely have any other competition and coming in a lot cheaper. So I'm yet to said i've yet to put the team to paper and i'm still yet to go through each of these players and, and look at the prospects so um haven't made that choice but up until well, those two years of certainly picking those settings to get ruckman
0: and um just watching the points come in food for thought definitely there how much emphasis do you place on value at round one does this restrict the amount of players you will select over 800k especially in the midfield Yeah,
1: it's just, again, it's a fine balance because the midfield's where there's the uber premiums, and we've seen over the last few years there is a big gap between just your regular gun midfielder, and there's good midfielders in the comp who are elite players of the competition, and they're just, for the last seven years, they just 100 their mark. Whether it's a Pendlebury or Bond, there's a lot of them you go through, and you look at their average to Shield and they're good players, and you think you're shocked that their best career score is 100 or 102, but then there's the uber premium mids of McRae's Mitchells who just go these 120s regularly, and that's a it's a big difference, um, and they add up. So, um, yeah, a lot of thought needs to go into whether it's worth. Um, accepting the 15 points less per game. But as long as you think you can make that up through other positions over the course of the year, um, then it's certainly worthwhile. We're, we're pretty fortunate this year. I think we've been handed a gem, the fact that we can get Tom Mitchell in at price at 90 when the mm-hmm. man's gone 120 multiple times. Um, it's funny how the, the pricing system of the competition works, where it's a 30% discount if you miss 10 games of that year. Mm-hmm think they didn't expect that to apply that on someone who's averaged 128 the prior year because all of a sudden 30% almost 40 40 points under price so um, we're lucky in that sense that we can might be able to take the cake and eat it too and get those players priced at 90 being a Tom Mitchell who has a, have the ability to go to 120 and then you've still got the bit of money to go and get a few of these top guns where there's a there's a fair few of them. Dunkley could well be a similar boat off always got hopes that Clayton Oliver is going to eventually be a 115 or 120 sort of guy so there's a, there's a few guys there who um, are at the top of their options
0: on to our final question of the podcast for those targeting overall winner and the potential stress and reward competing what is your best piece of advice for those that will go through this in 2020
1: go through this in terms of you mean go st- through the stress yeah be, be in that position. Well, to be in the position, you buy the guide <laughs> Bit of a pump up, so that should be available. In, I'm trying to get it done by mid-Feb, but um, obviously get us on Twitter and I'll, I'll keep you updated on that, but mid-Feb is what I'm targeting. Yep. The stress is a, certainly a big one and almost underrated because um, I love watching footy and it gets to stage where it's hard to watch games of footy where I'd find myself, um, just going to the pub instead with the boys and not even looking at footy scores because I know that obviously watching the games not going to help you get the scoring. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a game. Um, it's good fun. We all love it, and we we love it for a reason. And players are going to get injured. You're not going to get every pick right, and it's just it's just all part of it. So um, we certainly stress out at times. We probably wonder why we bother doing it, but certainly um, it delivers a lot more good than and bad and um, it's it's a fun game so just remember it's just a game
0: excellent thoughts on that note Selby I'm sure the listeners out there want to wish you all the best in 2020 with a weak shocked emoji face that you've returned uh, thanks for joining me on the plus six podcast
1: Go on you Pete good good job with this podcast more uh, more content the better so uh, we'll uh, see how we go this year
0: That is it for episode 10 of the Plus 6 podcast. Jepard will return in a not-too-distant future as we continue our way through the 2020 preseason. Before we close this podcast, if you would like a chance of scoring a Plus 6 podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.